last question. Uh, what were you taught about uh, baptism? So what did you believe the role of baptism played in your salvation, in your life? Like, can we talk about? Uh, so Baptist, I, I was baptized right out of the womb. I came into this world baptized, you know, according to how, you know, it was, it was told to me. So, you know, being a young age, I, I don't remember being baptized. I don't remember um, that experience. I don't remember my sister who was two years younger than me. So um, that never really was talked about outside of, you know, you were baptized, you know, in case, you know, you were to meet Jesus before you could actually um, accept him into your heart uh, so that was done done for you it's just something that happens when you're when you're born it was never a personal choice it was done for you at a young age um, to save your soul I was born in April and I was baptized um, in May like just a couple weeks after I was born it was really important to get baptized because in order to make it to heaven you had to be baptized and it was the parents decision not the the child's decision. They were just a little, you know, two-week-old infant and, and you got them baptized. The baptism was taught that it had to be done as soon as possible when you were a baby, so obviously you have no memory of it, um, but that was always just a role. I had lots and lots of cousins, Catholic families, so there's lots of baptisms and that was always the story was as soon as the baby is <laughs> eligible for baptism, they got dunked and they had to have that. If they didn't have that, they, had, they were starting off on the wrong foot and they had no chance whatsoever of uh, ever getting to heaven. Well, welcome to the final week of this series. I'm glad it's ending. I don't know about you. I'm glad I'm not going to do this again. Uh, as we wrap up this series, I'm going to talk about something that's created an enormous amount of confusion, division, fear, uncertainty, family pressure, emotion, tension for some of you, and that thing is baptism. And if this is your first time, super pumped, you're choosing to join us. Uh, just wanted to Quick recap of kind of where we've been the last few weeks. Uh, under Christendom, there are two main branches, the Catholic Church and Protestant Church. And a Protestant Church is any Christian church that's separated from the Church of Rome during the Reformation in the 16th century or any church that's descended from them. Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, Evangelical, us, we, we are, would be considered a Protestant church. Six, since the 16th century, the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church have given two divergent answers to the question, what must I do to be saved? And since we live in Omaha, which is predominantly Catholic, this cre has created a lot of tension for some of you. Many of you grew up in a home that was Catholic, whether, if, if not by practice, certainly by name. I, I think about 60% of relevant community churches is what I call decatholicized Catholics. You grew up Catholic, you disengaged from a Catholic church church at some point. You don't want to go back to the Catholic church, but you have a lot of guilt and, and, and confusion and questions and fears and family pressure, and you're just not really sure why. Well, that's the reason that I chose to do this series. Throughout this series, it's been ad addressing some topics that the Catholic Church teaches about how to get saved and stay saved, you know, stay in God's good graces. I've been, you know, trying to unpack those a little bit and then shed some light on what the writers of New Testament communicated. And I know that this series has made some of you very uncomfortable. But once again, I just need to tell you, my goal has not been and is not today to bash Catholicism, to disrespect your family, your upbringing, your beliefs, or to try to talk you out of something or try to talk you into something. My one goal throughout this series and continues to be my one goal today is to point all of us to Jesus and to, sh and to shed some light on what he and the writers of Scripture, how he and the writers of Scripture to answer the question, what must I do to be saved? And my hope in doing that is that some of you are able to break free from the unnecessary religious guilt and fear and confusion and pressure that you either have or are experiencing. Now, I have covered so much in this series, a lot of information. Today, really grasping what I'm talking about, I, you know, 
understand, you know, you need to understand what I've covered in previous weeks because I just don't have time to review. So if you if you've missed any of the previous weeks, go back and watch. It'll make this this sermon much more impactful when you go back and watch this sermon then later. Now, as we've talked about, we, along with the Catholic Church, believes that every single person needs saved because of their violation uh, against Holy Creator God. We, along with the Catholic Church, believes that Jesus is the Savior of the world and that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in our place made salvation possible. We, along with the Catholic Church, believes that the only way a person can be saved is by God's grace. What we disagree on is how God's grace is received. The Catholic Church, as we've talked about, teaches that God dispenses the grace necessary for salvation through the sacraments of the Catholic Church, of which they say there are seven. Baptism, the Eucharist, confirmation, confession, anointing the sick, marriage, and ordination. The Catholic Church teaches that God's saving grace is dispensed and received through the Catholic Church's channels of grace— the sacraments, those, which means those who ignore, ignore the sacraments are lost. Those who accept them are saved because salvation is in the hands of the Catholic Church. Thus, the only way a person can be saved is through the Catholic Church. Now, as you can see, baptism is one of these seven Catholic sacraments. Now, we baptize people too. We just view it very differently than the Catholic Church. You know, something I've, I've noticed is that everyone has an opinion on baptism. If you didn't grow up in church and the church thing is kind of new to you, your only opinion is that baptism is really weird. You're like, why are people getting in a tank in front of everyone with clothes on? It's weird. And you're right. It is a little bit weird. You know, let's just be honest about it. But if you grew up in church world, regardless of your, you know, the way that you grew up, you definitely have an opinion on baptism, on the significance of baptism, on when baptism should be done, on how baptism should be done, on how salvation is connected to baptism or not. The, other, the second thing I've noticed is that everyone is emotional about their opinion. Everyone's emotional about their opinion on baptism because they believe their view on baptism is the right one. The third thing I've noticed is that most people's view on baptism is shaped by their upbringing. Most, people, most, people, uh, most views on baptism are shaped by you know, what we're taught growing up, by the church tradition that we grew up with, not by our personal study of Scripture. Differing views on baptism has created all kinds of fights and pressure and division between families and friends. Some of you have experienced a lot of it. For, for others, your view on baptism has created guilt and fear and anxiety within you or for your kids. And unfortunately, for so many, your view and your emotions on baptism have to, much more with, to do with the church tradition you were raised in than anything else. We... Uh, along with the Catholic Church, agree that baptism is really, really important. We just disagree on what the purpose of baptism is and what happens through it. If you were to kind of take all the Catholic doctrine and what they teach about baptism and kind of narrow it down to one statement, uh, here would be the statement from the Catholic Church. Baptism is necessary for salvation. The Catholic Church teaches that salvation is through Jesus, is, is from Jesus through the Catholic Church. We talked about that. The Catholic Church teaches there is no salvation outside the Catholic Church. We talked about that. The Catholic Church teaches that a person enters the Catholic Church through the sacrament of baptism. The Catholic Church teaches that baptism in the Catholic Church is the way God's saving grace is initially 
received. Which means receiving God's saving grace has nothing to do with a person's faith in Jesus, but with being baptized, whether it was by your choice or by someone else's choice for you. It does not matter which one. The, the Catholic Church teaches that a person must be baptized by the Catholic Church to be saved because baptism in the Catholic Church is one of the seven sacraments and is necessary for salvation. This is why infants are baptized in the Catholic Church as soon as possible. Uh, according to the Catholic Church, the salvation of any person who dies without being baptized in the Catholic Church, there's, there, there's, their salvation is in doubt. If you grew up in the Catholic Church, this is why you and your family have so much emotion about baptism. This is why you feel so much pressure either internally or from your family after you have a baby to get them baptized immediately. Now, at Relevant, we don't baptize babies. You'll see why in, in just a little bit here. But people who grew up Catholic and then become part of Relevant, it, that creates a lot of tension and confusion for them. And I've seen so many people who grew up Catholic and then a part of Relevant, and they're loving it, and they're following Jesus, and they're growing, and their lives are being transformed. Then they get married, then they have a kid, and after they have a kid, they disappear. And like, where'd they go? And I'll run into them later and be like, oh, I had to go back, we had to go back to the Catholic Church because I had to get my, my, my kid baptized. And I'm like, why? And you're like, they're like, I don't know. I just need to make sure they're in. Like, I got to make sure they're in. And I'm like, in where? They're like, I don't know, just in. They're so afraid of what's going to happen to their child if they don't get their child baptized. Some of you have, have felt that and experienced that. Then some of you who grew up Catholic, who are part of Relevant, you ended up having a kid, and then you chose not to baptize your kid, and you just created a ton of pressure and division with your parents and your family because your parents and your family, they're terrified for your kid's life. They're terrified for your kid's Salvation. Now, if this Catholic doctrine is true, that baptism is necessary for salvation, and you and or your child have not been baptized by the Catholic Church, my encouragement to you would be to go get that done as quick as humanly possible. Because it means that you and your child are living outside of God's saving grace. If this Catholic doctrine is true and you and your child haven't been baptized, it means that the pressure you feel from your family and the guilt and the fear that you feel are, are internally are justified because you and your child's salvation are in doubt regardless of your faith in Jesus. However, I believe you can put all that guilt and all that fear and all that pressure behind you because I don't believe this is how Jesus and the writers of the New Testament understood baptism. Now, I said before, we, along with the Catholic Church, agree that baptism is really important. And the reason we agree it's important is because of something that's recorded in Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, 8, one of Jesus' most famous and well-known statements are recorded. And it just so happened that this is one of the last things that Jesus said before he physically left this earth and ascended into heaven. He said, therefore, go and make disciples. And by the way, that's what Jesus called his followers. Jesus Never called his followers Christians, just so you know. And he never called them Catholics, just so you know. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, all people groups. There's our word. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, go tell people about me, about my death and resurrection and what that means for them. And whoever becomes one of my followers, I want them to be baptized in my heavenly Father's name, in my name, and in my Spirit's name, the Holy Spirit's name. 
So you can see this is not just a cool church phrase that we made up. This is Jesus' formula and was the first and only time he said this. Jesus never said this before. It was the first time and he said it right before he physically left. This was a powerful statement through which Jesus was professing his deity one final time. This was a powerful statement that changed the meaning of baptism from this point forward. This statement from Jesus is the reason that we, along with the Catholic Church, agree that baptism is really important. What we disagree with, uh, with the Catholic Church on is that, a, that it, is that it is necessary for salvation. So what I want to do today is I want to step away from all of us to step away from what we've been told about baptism growing up. And quickly show you what the writers of the New Testament and history teaches about baptism. Because when you put those two things together, you're going to see that, you know, the way so many of us view baptism is not the way the first century church viewed baptism. Hopefully, this is going to help you erase some tensions and emotions and fears that you feel about it. And some of this, to be fair, is going to be a little bit heady. But I hope you hang with me. I hope you hang with me because if you call yourself a follower of Christ, Jesus said this baptism is an important aspect of your journey in following him. I hope you hang with me because the way many of us are viewing baptism is producing a false sense of security and a false sense of hope. And I don't want that for you and I especially do not want that for your kids. To begin our discussion, we need to do a little Greek. Now, for those of you who didn't know, the New Testament, which is our books of our Bible that are written about and after Jesus, the New Testament was originally written in Greek and in, the, in the first century, and then many, many, many years later was translated into English. Now, the English word baptize in our Bibles was originally written as this Greek word. And how you pronounce this Greek word is baptizo. Baptizo. Let's say that all together. Baptizo. You're learning Greek today. You guys are super smart. I knew you would be. Now, when scholars, transla- when scholars translated the Greek New Testament into English, what they would do is they would do a one-to-one translation, meaning whatever the Greek word's meaning was, they would put the English equivalent in its place. However, there's a couple of words that don't quite make the translation list all the time. And one of those words was baptizo. In the English Bible, the word baptized is not a translation of the Greek word baptizo, but a transliteration of it. Transliteration means when you transfer each letter of a word into the equivalent letter of a different language instead of translating the entire meaning. How we got the word baptized, the English word baptized, is because the scholars took the English equivalent of each Greek letter of baptizo and transliterated them instead of translating the word's entire meaning. And when they did that, they created a new English word, the word that we now know as Baptize. The problem is the English word baptize to us is a very religious and theological word. But leading up to the events of Jesus' life in the first century, the word baptizo was not. Baptizo was actually a very common word meaning to wash, plunge, soak, or submerge. A very common word to describe when people drowned or when ships sank or a washing process. As a matter of fact, one of the clearest examples of this comes from 200 B.C. 
200 years before Jesus ever walked the face of the earth, there was a Greek poet and physician named Nicander. And we actually have a document from Nicander from 200 B.C., which is a pickle recipe. He wrote down a pickle recipe, and we have it. And in this pickle recipe from 200 B.C., from this Greek poet and and physician, he uses the word baptizo twice. He says you take the cucumber and you baptizo it in boiling water, and then you take the cucumber and you baptizo it in vinegar. Why would you do that with the cucumber? Well, to save the cucumber, of course. No, it had nothing to do with that. Because it it simply means to wash or to submerse. In in the English Bible, the translation of of, of a Greek text, the translators sometimes translated baptizo into wash, and sometimes they transliterated it as baptize. So the things can get just a little bit confusing. Here's a few examples of when they translated it into wash instead of it being transliterated uh, into baptize in Mark 4. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they baptizo. What do you mean? They don't eat unless they get baptized first? No, he's referring to washing of hands. This is an example of when baptizo is translated instead of transliterated. And it goes on. And they observe many other transitions such as washing, which is a derivative of the word baptizo, of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Implication, when you go home, you need to baptize your cups and maybe something special will happen to them. Of course not. That's ridiculous. Baptizo is simply a common word that when translated means to wash, plunge, soak, or submerge. Here's another example. But the Pharisees were surprised when when, uh, when he noticed that Jesus did not first baptizo before the meal. Was he surprised that Jesus didn't get baptized before he ate? No, he was surprised he didn't wash or baptizo his hands. So here's the bottom line of this. Historically, the Greek word baptizo, from which we get the English word baptize, was a very common word. There was nothing mythical about it, mystical about it, or theological about it. Even though baptizo in our English Bibles is sometimes translated wash and sometimes transliterated baptize, the word simply means to wash, plunge, soak, or submerse, which creates some questions. How did this very common word start taking on theological meaning? Like, why didn't they just always translate it wash or submerse? Well, let me explain how this very common word took on, ended up taking on a the- theological meaning. Leading up to the first century, Gentiles, and by the way, if you ever wor- read the Gentiles in the Bible, it's referring to anyone who's not a Jew. Gentiles became enamored some, with the Jews. And they became enamored that they worshipped one God instead of pantheon of gods. And some Gentiles started to go, hey, is it possible for me to convert to Judaism and worship your God? So the Jewish religious leaders, they came up with a process through which a Gentile had to go through to become Jewish, to convert to Judaism. This isn't an exhaustive list, but this is just some of the things that they would have to do. You have to get circumcised. So, it, you know, if you're, if you're a guy, you had to get circumcised. So probably most converts were women. Because circumcision is when you take, you know what it is, I'm not going to explain it. You had, to, you had to eat a covenant meal, which reflected the essence of a Jewish Passover meal. You Talked about that last week. You had to submit to the law of Moses, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. You had to do what it says and memorize large portions of it. You had to make a sacrifice, which varied from time period to time period. And you had to take part in a ceremonial washing. Now, the ceremonial washing, no one did this to you. You did this to yourself. And the Greek word the Jews used to describe this ceremonial washing was baptizo. 
This is when this common word began to take on religious and theological connotations. It began to be used to describe a ceremonial washing, specifically to convert to Judaism. It began to be used to represent the cleansing and washing off, in this context of the old Gentileness, old sin, old way of life, and associating yourself with Judaism, identifying that you are living a new life, worshiping the God of the Jews. Now, with that as a backdrop, in the year 30 A.D., In the first century, as Jesus was getting ready to step onto the scene, something crazy happened. This weird-looking Jewish guy named John showed up near Jerusalem, and he starts preaching. Repent, repent, repent. The kingdom of heaven is near, and the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed one that we've been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years for is getting ready to step onto the scene. And so repent and prepare your hearts that you're saying that you are going to accept him when he steps onto the scene. And then the strangest thing happened. He said, hey, if you're ready to repent and accept the Messiah, come down to the water with me. And people start to line up at the river. And we have no idea how exactly John did it, but the word the writers used to describe what John was doing in the river was baptizo. It looked like the ceremonial washing a Gentile had to go through to become Jewish, except for one big difference. John was doing the washing. John was doing the baptizoing. In, in, in Judaism, ceremonially washing another person had never happened before in history. No one had ever seen it before. No Jew had ever seen it before. John was the first to, to, uh, John was the first to baptizo someone, to baptizo someone else. So John got the nickname John the Baptist, or Greek, John the Baptistes, which is a derivative of the word baptizo. And this word now that we see Baptist or in Greek baptites, it was a, it, you'd see it in no other, no other literature during that time. It originated in the Greek New Testament, which means they, you know, they were watching, watch, watching John do something they've never seen before. So they had to make up a new word to describe what John was doing. So John became known as John the washer, John the washerman, John the immerser, John the dipper, to shorten it up, Mr. Clean, you know. So what people were doing when they were, went down to the river with John the Baptist is saying, I want, I believe what he said is true and what John said is true, and I'm going to publicly associate with his message that I have repented and my heart is ready for the Messiah. And then one day, John's down at the river, and he's doing however he's doing it, and he stops and he looks up on the bank And he sees Jesus, who he was very familiar with Jesus. And he said, stop. There he is. The one I've been telling you about. The Messiah. The Lamb of God who will come and take away the sin of the world. And Jesus makes his way down into the water. He goes to John. He says, John, I need you to baptizo me. John's like, no. Mm -mm, Ain't doing that. Like, you're the Messiah. The one I'm telling people about. Like, I... You should be doing that to me. I'm not even worthy to tie your shoes. And he goes, John, you just got to do it. It is necessary that you do it. Why would Jesus say that? So Jesus could be saved? No, I think he's pretty good. (laughs) Jesus knew as people watched, he wanted everyone to know that he was associating himself with John the Baptist's message and the prophecies about him. And so evidently John lost the thumb war and John baptizoed Jesus. From that point forward, Jesus' disciples began baptizoing people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah and wanted to publicly associate with him. By the way, there is not one New Testament passage, not one, not one New Testament passage that shows that Jesus ever 
baptizoed anybody. It was his disciples who were baptizing people who believed Jesus was the Messiah and wanted to publicly associate with him. That's how this whole baptism thing in the Christian world got launched and how baptizing others got launched. John was the first baptizer in reference to the coming of Jesus. Then Jesus' disciples began to baptize people who were publicly associating with Jesus as the Messiah. And then right before Jesus left this earth, the last thing, one of the last things he said that we looked at earlier is, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, which is a transliteration of the derivative of baptizo, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, go tell people about me, about my death and resurrection and what that means for them. And whenever someone decides to become one of my followers, I want them to be baptizoed. I want them to be ceremonially washed to publicly declare they are associating with me. And then Jesus physically ascends. And in the next 30 years or so that followed, that we read about in the book of Acts in the first century, what you're going to notice is two things when you read the book of Acts. Is people weren't baptized until after they put their faith in Jesus. And the other thing you'll notice is people were immediately baptized after they put their faith in Jesus. So to sum this all up, three quick statements about baptism in the New Testament. First, baptism is a public declaration of a new association. Run this back through, you know, history. If you wanted to publicly associate with the Jews, you know, convert to Judaism, you, you know, you went through this ceremonial washing, baptizo, baptize. You know, if you wanted to publicly associate with John the Baptist's message, you publicly associated with it by being ceremonially washed, baptized, baptizo. And if you want to publicly associate with Jesus and his message, you, message, you, went, you ceremonially got washed, baptizoed, baptized. In the New Testament, Baptism was the way people said, I'm going public with my faith in Jesus. I'm publicly associating with the person of Jesus. I am publicly declaring I am following Jesus and I'm a part of his church, his kingdom, his people, now and forever. Secondly, baptism in the New Testament was a personal declaration of a new association. People who got baptized in the New Testament declared, uh, you know, decided on their own to do it. This was, it was a choice and it was a decision that they personally made, not one that was made for them. This is the reason we don't baptize infants here and or children who are too young to understand what they are doing. Instead, we dedicate them. We believe it's so important that people are able to look back on their baptism and say, I personally made that decision. Irrelevant, we baptize by immersion, but that being said, we don't get hung up on the form on how baptism is done. We get hung up on the timing, on when it's done, because baptism is a public declaration of a personal decision to follow Jesus. Listen, if you feel any pressure, either internally or from your family, to baptize your baby, or you fear for their salvation because you haven't baptized your child, you need to know two things. The first thing you need to know is there is not one example in the New Testament of infant baptism. Let me say that again. There's not one example in the New Testament of infant baptism. It's not even hinted at. The second thing you need to know is that according to the writers of the New Testament, baptism is evidence of salvation, not a requirement for salvation. What must I do to be saved? Through this series, we discovered the writers of the New Testament were very clear on the answer to that question. For it is by grace you have been saved, you have been forgiven, redeemed, 
justified, declared innocent, reunited with your heavenly Father, given eternal life in this life and the next. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith in Jesus, and we talked about in this series what that means. It means through faith, faith, asking Jesus to be the forgiver of my sins, my Savior, and to be the leader of my life, my Lord, my God. It's by God's grace you've been saved through faith in Jesus, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift, a gift, a gift, a gift, a gift of God, not by works or church membership or communion or giving money or living a moral life so that no one can boast. Over a hundred times in the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament say it's because of God's grace through faith in Jesus plus nothing. And that is all that's required to accept God's grace. That's all that's required for salvation, which means we're not saved by baptism and we're not saved by faith plus baptism. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. If you were to kind of narrow down you know, what, you know, baptism in the New Testament to one statement, it would be this statement. Baptism is a public declaration of faith in Jesus. It's evidence of salvation, not a requirement for it. In the New Testament, baptism was a next step people took to go public, that they were now associated with Jesus, that they were now followers of Jesus, that they had put their faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life. Every person who was baptized in the first century that we read about in the New Testament had already put their faith in Jesus. They never associated baptism with their salvation. They associated it with their faith. It was kind of like a wedding ceremony. Like a wedding ceremony where, where we publicly, where they were publicly declaring, we're publicly declaring that I'm entering into, we talked about this in the series, into this relationship. And I am vowing myself to this person. Just like that. I'm entering through this ceremony, I'm entering into this relationship, declaring I'm doing that, and that I'm vowing myself. To this person. The writers of the New Testament and the audience that they wrote to in the, in the first century viewed salvation and viewed baptism through the lens that baptism is a public declaration of faith in Jesus. It's evidence of salvation, not a requirement for it. We already discovered that this is not what the Catholic Church believes. The Catholic Church teaches baptism is necessary for salvation. The question is where did that idea come from? And there is so much church history that I could share with you that I just don't have time. So to make a very, very, very long story short, the Catholic, this Catholic doctrine began to form 300 years after the events of Jesus' life in the 4th century when the Roman emperor Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. We discovered over the last few weeks, the moment this happened, the church became married and synonymous with the Roman government, with the Roman Empire. And when this happened, salvation was no longer about what you believed. Salvation became about having a proper relationship with the church and with Rome. One would now be a Christian simply by being born into the Roman Empire and baptized into the church. Infant baptism became the link by which the church and the state were united and salvation was received. In the centuries that followed, 
The belief that salvation was received at baptism, it grew and grew and grew. So the practice of infant baptism grew and grew and grew. Fast forward to the 16th century, baptism... Uh, baptism into the Catholic Church was declared by the Catholic Church as one of the seven sacraments necessary for salvation. And once again, this was one of the fundamental points of division that caused the Reformation in the 16th century and that Catholics and Protestants have been divided on ever since. Now, regardless of your church history, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of your church tradition, based on everything that I just presented to you, I think it's important for you and I to answer the following question. How is a person saved? By faith in Jesus alone? Or by baptism? Or by faith plus baptism? The writers of the New Testament are very clear. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. It's faith in Jesus plus nothing. If we're saved by baptism, you've got to know, you did not get that idea from the Bible. You got it from the church tradition you grew up in. If we're saved by baptism, then the writers of the New Testament were wrong. The writers of the New Testament lied. If we're saved by faith plus baptism, where did you get that idea from? Because it can't be both. Because as soon as works enter the equation, it's no longer grace. I believe there are two unfortunate, two dangerous outcomes of attaching baptism to salvation. I think the first unfortunate and dangerous outcome is that we assume then on God. We assume on God. Listen, I don't know exactly what happens when you die and, you know, you go stand in front of the pearly gates. And if Jesus is there, he goes, should I let you in? But let me tell you, if, how that, however that whole thing works, I'm pretty sure this is not how the, the answer he's looking for. Should I let you in? Well, Jesus, I never put my faith in you. I never followed you. But I did get baptized, so yeah, you got to. And then Jesus at that moment goes, crap. <laughs> you backed me into a corner. I really didn't want to, but, you, you know, you did that. And so now I have no choice. I guess you got to come in. You guys, come, come, come on. You think we trick God that way? Listen, if, God, if, if there's one true God, I'm pretty sure he doesn't take his cues from us. And I'm pretty sure by something we did doesn't back him into a corner going, Shoot. The other unfortunate and dangerous outcome of attaching baptism to salvation is that it gives us a false sense of security and a false sense of hope. As soon as we attach anything else to salvation, or we say, say, this is how you are saved, you're saved because of that act, it provides a false sense of security, a false sense of hope in regards to salvation for you and your kids. And people have asked me who grew up this way, like, hey, what, what's the harm? Like, what harm is it for me just to go do this for my kids? Like, what's the harm in that? The harm in that is that sooner or later you're going to have to tell them how and explain how is a person saved. What did that mean for them? Are they saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone or are they not? And in our minds, if we're like, who got that done with? Or they look back and go, well, mom and dad baptized me. It can provide a false sense of security and a false sense of hope in our salvation if salvation is truly God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. According to the writers of Scripture, we're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. According to the writers of the New Testament, baptism is a public declaration of faith in Jesus. It's evidence of salvation, not a requirement for it. Now, if that's true. You have to decide if this is true. You, you decide. If that's true, it means a few things. 
If this is true, it means if you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and leader of your life, today is the day. And I'm going to give you an opportunity before we close. Because, listen, today is the day your fear can be removed. Your guilt can be removed. Today is the day you can become assured of your salvation. Because today's the day you can put your faith in Jesus. If this is true, and you're a parent who has felt fear and guilt and pressure for not getting your child baptized in the Catholic Church, it means you can leave all that behind you. If this is true. If this is true and you're a parent, it means the most important thing you can do for your child is dedicate all of yourself to raise them to know Jesus so that hopefully they put their faith in Jesus. When people come up here for child dedications, that's exactly what they're doing, if this is true. If this is true, it means if you're a follower of Christ, if you've put your faith in Jesus, asking to be the forgiver of your sins and lead your life, and you haven't been baptized, you should take the next step to be. You should simply because you say you're a follower of Jesus and Jesus commanded it, which means this is a point of obedience. This is a point of discipleship. You should because it changes your identity. Because when you get baptized, what you're declaring is, I'm not defined as a sinner. I'm not defined by my past sins and my past failures. I am now defined by Jesus. I am now a son and daughter of the living God. My eternity has been transformed. I'm redeemed. I'm saved. I'm a member of the body of Christ. I'm now a part of the kingdom of God and his family now and forever if all this is true if this is true I think you should get baptized because it's transformational for you you're not saved through it but you are transformed through it because listen God wants to transform you and me into everything he's created us to be and we talk about this all the time how does that happen? happens by following Jesus one next step at a time this next step to get baptized is not for a step way down there this is the first one like, this is the first next step that has nothing to do with salvation, but with every next step we take, he does a transforming work. He does a unique one when we take this step. Listen, you should, you should, because by doing this, you lay a stake in the ground, and you say, that's the day I say I'm associated with Jesus. That's the day I say I'm a follower of Jesus. That's the day I proclaim that Jesus is my Lord and my God. So when the fear comes in the future, and the doubt comes in the future, and the, you know, the, 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 your, your trust is faltering in the future, you can look back on that day and say, that's the day I proclaimed who I was and what I was following. You should because this is the pinnacle of how we celebrate and praise God together. So if you're a follower of Christ, you've never been baptized, take that next step. You can take it in all sorts of ways. You can baptize. You can baptize. You can text the word baptize to 55444. You can go to the website. You can go to the next step area say, I want to get baptized. And one of our teams is going to follow up with you and help you on this journey toward this amazing experience. Now, I want to address one final thing. Actually, one final question I've gotten from a lot of people who grew up baptized or grew up, who grew up Catholics. So they're baptized as babies and they come into Relevant and they hear me, you know, doing this teaching and what we believe about baptism. They end up asking this question a lot. Do I have to get re, or do I have to be rebaptized? Listen, that is a wrong question. You don't have to do anything. And you don't need to do it for some religious to do. The question is, should you? Listen, if you were baptized as a baby and you're asking this question, I just want to give you three filter questions to help you discern if you should maybe consider it. First question is, was it a personal decision? Like, did you personally decide to get baptized? If not, maybe you should consider, you should consider it. Secondly, was it a public declaration? Like, were you publicly declaring your faith in Jesus through it? If not, maybe you should consider it. Third, was it done as evidence of my faith or was it done for my salvation? 
if it wasn't done as evidence of your faith in Jesus as a forgiver of your sins, a leader of your life, maybe you should consider it. Now listen, you don't need to listen to me. You don't have to follow me. I'm not your God. I would encourage you, like if this is you, to go and take this to prayer. Take it before the, and let the Holy Spirit lead you. And if you feel a prompting to follow him. Don't you, know, you don't need to listen to a word I say. But I would follow him because you call yourself a follower of Jesus. So if he's prompting you in this way, follow him. And you already know by following him if this is you, this is going to create a lot of weirdness in your family. This is going to create a lot of pressure in your family. And it just is. And listen, this is where you have an opportunity to tell your family, look, look, I get it. I understand mom and dad, I'm not just respecting you in the way you brought me up. Thank you. It's probably the reason I'm here today. But I am a follower of Jesus and I have to follow Jesus. Him alone. Listen, you're you're not, as a follower of Jesus, he is your Lord and he is your God. And sometimes that causes family pressure. Sometimes that makes your family think you're part of a cult. I don't know what other way to say it. But here's the deal. This is the most important thing I'm going to say all day. Being Catholic doesn't mean anything to Jesus. Let me say, broaden it out. Being a Christian doesn't mean anything to Jesus. Being one of his followers, being one of his disciples, that's what means everything. Today, we have the opportunity to close by celebrating a baptism. So go ahead. Oh, we did this in the first gathering. You have to see this because Doug's story is legit. Uh, so I forgot. We're not doing this live. We, so this is first, guys, this is awesome. Check out this. And by the way, when Doug comes up out of this water, uh, we cheer in here just as loud as we did live. So go ahead and take a look at Doug's story. Honestly, I thought I had a pretty decent life. I had a really good job. I got a part-time farm down in Missouri that I really enjoyed being around and had a good beautiful wife and two really good kids and I thought everything was was clicking. Uh, what changed was um, January 28th I was trying to call my wife just say good morning or whatever see what was going on and I kept trying to call all morning and about noon I got an email from her that said she uh, wanted to separate. The old saying is, you know, I think it was Matt that was saying, I got this. I pretty quickly realized that I don't got this. It wasn't as good as I thought it was. But there's many paths a guy could take. Some people would go to bars. Some people would do things that probably wouldn't, shouldn't be doing. But um, for some reason, I just felt a, a, something come over me that said, you need to talk to God. You need to talk to Jesus. One day out of the blue, I don't remember exactly if it was a Tuesday or a Thursday, but I decided I needed to come to, to Relevant. I just had a feeling I needed to be here because I needed somebody to talk to. Ronnie was walking out the door, and it was the same time I was walking in, and he told me, this literally saw you pulling up in the pickup as I was coming out. And he had, we had, I told him what had happened. I needed somebody to talk to, and we went to his office and talked, and we were talking about Jesus and how he could feel stuff, and I said, I never, I never heard Jesus or God talk to me. But he goes, it's the events in the life that happen that shows God is talking to you. And he goes, take this for example. Dude, when I was supposed to be in a meeting till 10.30 today. You know, there was no way I was getting out of that meeting. But something happened that we got out 
and it was just at the same time you were pulling up and look dude he was we connected i was coming out you were coming in that's how you know god is present the more i read the more comfortable i got the more peace i felt and the more i felt more comfortable asking god to guide me and be the leader of my life and follow his path and and not mine and to put my path in his hands well let me tell you it's not as easy as, i mean i still worry about stuff i still think about stuff i still worried about my marriage and where it's going it's hard not to worry about it but ultimately i know whichever way it turns out it's what god wants the people that made an impact on my spiritual journey are the people at relevant to be honest have been just outstanding there's no judgment at any of the groups they're all there for support jen and scott marion like i said the monday night tea life group just outstanding and ronnie just what a great what a great church I'm getting baptized today because I want people to know that Jesus is the leader of my life and the forgiver of my sins. And it's a symbolic fresh start for me today. When I come out of the water, I'm looking for a symbolism of a new start. Well, good morning. My name is Scott Marion. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I have a few different roles at Relevant, but today my most important role is friend of Doug. And, you know, Doug, as I watched the video um, several times, and, you know, first time we met, um, Jen asked you a question after you shared your story and where you were is, you know, what are you praying to God about? And your response, I really think, summed up where you were at that time. And it was, I don't want to bother him with what's going on with me. I'm not worthy is really what you were saying. And to see the Doug then and the Doug now, to realize you're worthy of going to him with what your fears and anxieties are is amazing transformation. And so, you know, and also this Sunday that, you know, Ronnie is speaking on baptism, your appointment when you met with him, which was not an appointment, it was other than it was appointed by God, to use your story today, that's no coincidence. And so I am honored to be your friend and thank you for allowing Jen and I to come along in this walk with you. So I've got to ask you a question. Have you put your faith in Jesus to be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life? Well, brother, by your profession and faith, Jesus to be the leader of your life and forgive your sins, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come on. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, just thank you for Doug. Thank you for calling to yourself, for putting his faith in you, for the transform work you've already started in him. Uh, Lord, I pray. Um, all of us, we just look to you, follow you. If anyone should take this next step, I pray they choose to take it. Um, and through it, you just do the transforming work that you want to do for your glory. And finally, Lord, anyone who's never put their faith in you today, Jesus, um, I pray that right now, either at home or in this room, they choose to do that. That right where they are, Jesus, right now, they declare their need for a Savior, that you are that Savior. And right now, they ask you to be the forgiver of their sins, they ask you to be their Savior. 
And right now, Jesus, they declare that they want you to be the leader of their life, their Lord, their God. Thank you, Jesus, in your name, amen.